today is sunday april the 16th and um we're gonna be reading from born for dead by Lori guns and we're gonna be reading the chapter a soldier in the field just finished reading the chapter called bones and the gully and this was a very interesting chapter as it talk about trevor phillips aka bones from mcgregor gully area and um that was living in new york it talk about bones relationship with bob marley I spoke about Bones' relationship with, with the gangs and with Bob Marley and what was very interesting was when Bones, um, when Jim Brown um, was visiting or came by or some, had some interaction with Bones and Bob Marley recognized Jim Brown as one of the men who was at the house in Oprah the night Bob Marley got shot. Also the fact that they used the Bob Marley piece concert uh, not they being Bamali but the politicians used it apparently used it to bring in guns shipment of guns but anyway moving forward a soldier in the field because we want to end this one and today's uh, Sunday it's um, April the 16th interesting day um, getting the regular deluge of who has passed um, I don't know if it's an age thing. So my parents would probably have witnessed it at this age, but because they weren't in the age of technology and social media, you, you would only notice who passed that you know, but now you're noticing who passed from everybody and your friends list on your feed. So it feel like you're just getting a deluge. Um, Winston um, Bello, a Bello, yeah. Winston Bello Bell, I think it's Winston Alexander is his real name. He passed yesterday. That was announced on his Facebook. He's uh, from the duo called um, Blacker, Blacker and Bello, or Bello and Blacker. Owen, I think it's Owen um, Blacker Ellis, and him Winston Bello Bell, uh, Alexander. So he passed yesterday from complication of neuropathy. Which, funny enough, some of the symptoms I gotta start checking now. I never know that there was such a disease. And then when they talk about the symptom, I'm like, wait, that sounds familiar. But moving forward to a soldier in the field, gonna read this now. So, Brambles, who was Brambles? Brambles, and I might have a little audience here today, a rare treat, an audience all the way from France, from Paris, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Brambles. Brambles is, this is real. Brambles to me was Laurie Gunn's brethren, a friend, and it seemed like there's some affection towards Brambles from Jamaica who came up to New York when he was a journalist with the GIS, but as the, the, the politics changed in Jamaica, um, work got slim and he went to New York to seek a better life. But Brambles, from where he's portrayed here is a level-headed good youth all right brambles was still living in rakai's crack spot brambles was still living in rakai's crack spot well and i'm put on my reading glasses here yeah? oh, reading glasses coming like it worse i need i need a reading glasses for the reading glasses honestly actually read better without the glasses Brambles was still living in Rakai's crack spot, reconciled to his own protracted exile in New York. He was caught in the catch-22 of a Jamaican sufferer lost in the promised land. The unwritten cultural law that says, if you can't come back from America with your pockets full, then don't come back at all. 
Jamaicans assume that anyone with the right stuff will come home rich and any other scenario is so humiliating that it's unthinkable. So Bramble stayed doggedly on, sending his meager earnings home to his son and daughter and freezing through one winter after another. He never relinquished his dreams. Shenda's fortune meanwhile, so Shenda was a crackhead but she was very smart. She had a, had a, I think she had a, a degree in psychology or something like that from UA. But she, be, she became a crackhead in New York because of the whole crack situation that was unfolding during the 70s and 80s. Shenda's fortune, meanwhile, were improving. She had stopped smoking crack every day and moved out of Papa's graveyard and into the, bash, the basement flat of an older man named Mac. Mac was a Jamaican landlord with an array of decrepit buildings scattered around Crown Heights. This is in New York. He was also a fierce anti-Semite convinced that Jew, lawyers, not the drug dealers who didn't pay rent, were bilking him out of his profits. I got a slug of Jew baiting whenever I went to see Shenda. It ranged from the good nature to the vicious, depending on Mark's mood and how much rum he had that day. But he respected me for my learning and called me Doc. A few months before Trevor Phillips and I met, I was at Mark's for an afternoon visit with Shenda. They were waiting for a young Jamaican named Courtney to show up with a gun that Courtney was trying to sell Mac. Shenda said that Courtney was a gun hawk for Shower Posse, a small-time dealer of stolen weapons and drugs. Courtney strolled in right on schedule wearing a black leather windbreaker with the gun nested in his pocket. He was sloth-eyed and very dark and his hair was sculpted with a fade with a razor hash cut on one side a razored hash cut on one side he reminded me he reminded me a little of delroy edwards and when i told him so he preened at the comparison you remember that body they found over on rogers with a bullet in its in his head and his two balls stuffed in his mouth corner asks that was one of delroy's savagism uzi was a savage i know because i worked for him and i stole from him too when i sell something for 50 dollars and somebody come and come for a 10 dollar vial i just cut a piece off of the 50 and sell it for the 10 and still sell the 50. so i have 10 dollars in my own pocket the next thing you know i have a thousand he grinned engagingly who's this coming out of jail one of these days he nodded I mentioned that it would be hard to come out with a 501-year sentence and no parole, but Corny had his own ideas. You know how I know? Because he, he has the strongest hobia and hobia works. I know Mama B, the Asian woman Delroy used. If you get a year from somebody's head and put it in a jar and bring it to Mama B's, she said, kiss, 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 that, that, that. You're dead. You go dead. Whatever and the doctor can't tell you why. Make a coconut tree grow in your belly and come out through your mouth and you don't know why. Yeah, Delroy go I hate you for him hobby. And that is why I tell you Delroy gonna come out one of these days. Eat no mother thing judge can stop no voodoo. Mark I Mark asked to see the gun and Courtney produced a dull black black nine millimeter. He said it come from Texas, one of the past's favorite states, along with Virginia, Virginia, Florida, and Ohio, for buying guns. 
they were, retail, they were retailers who would arrange a theft for passing if they were if they if they bought in bulk and the dealer could write it off on his insurance this meant that the gun sold for less than retail price on the street courtney was asking mac only 100 dollars for the glock my guns come up from houston he said proudly showing mac how to insert the clip of hollow-headed bullets into the gun's grip Greyhound drivers bring them up. Tractor trailer bring them up. The Glock run things now. Courtney couldn't resist bragging. When you have a name as a gun arc, somebody who, somebody who is well into the business and don't fear police, detectives, whoever comes up to you, when you get to move with anybody you want to, you move under the ground. I have certain people who I am like who I am like a son to because they can rely on me. If they give me a gun and say, go out there and kill that man, I would do it. I wouldn't feel nothing. But doing that, I'd kill person in a quick second if the money was good. Mac and Shenda didn't say a word. I just stared at Courtney. For a man to kill a man, it feel good. He went on. You understand? Cause when you kill a man, you get you get hot. He said with the word in a breathy stage whisper, you get bold. You all right when you kill a man, cause you got it made. Matt decided that maybe he didn't want to buy the gun that day, but Courtney was undismayed. If, if you not see me with a gun in my pocket, you know I is a effery. He said cheerfully and tucked the gun away. He and Shenda were hungry. So we drove to Ashanti, one of my favorite restaurants. On the way, we passed the corner of Sterling and Second, De- Second Taddy, with Courtney keeping up a running patter like a guide. The gully right now is the roughest, Courtney said. Enough respect, you have to give them man there. They're juggling kilos, they're not effing around. Chinaman run the thing. You ever see Chinaman yet? Light-skinned brother. That's how come he get the name. Moves like a ghost. Courtney made Shenda slow down, but he could, so he could point out the brightly colored mural above the Crownites soccer and Domino Association. A little video parlor and social club next door to Gully's apartment building. One side of the mural was a soccer game and the other side was a foursome playing dominoes. One of the players was Chinaman. That's him up there on the right. Courtney leaned forward from the back seat to point. This is where, this, this here is the killing fields. Ain't no corner in Brooklyn you can tell me is rough like this. Courtney had a boombox voice that turned the car into a sound chamber. And when we got to the Ashanti, he felt no need to simmer down. He talked so loud that the other customers hide us with great interest and Shenda kept plucking his sleeve to quiet him down. So he tried to stage a whisper like the one he had used to describe how he feels to kill. He said that he had come to Brooklyn as a teenager. He had left Jamaica to go to West Virginia on an apple picking contract. But he knew plenty of Jamaicans in New York and they urged him to bail out of his work contract. So of his, so of his Brooklyn friends, some of his Brooklyn friends were running with the shower posse. But sometimes I don't even really consider myself a shower. 
Courtney said, between mouthfuls of chicken, rice and peas. I just consider myself as one young man, confusing the society by the way my leaders make it. He did what he did for the money, not because he had any great love for Siaga or the JLP. Why would two white men like Manny and Siaga be running a black country? It doesn't make sense. This is going to be mixed up, bound to be. They're only giving black youth and youth guns. So Siaga is bullshit. Manly is bullshit. Jamaica don't have no right leader. It's, it's just USPMP means labor right. You bring down gun, me bring down gun and we kill each other. I always ask the same question if nobody knows. You see two white men there in the country. He got up to order a drink, hesitating between Irish Moss and another root stand called Front End Lifter. Irish Moss is a gelatious concoction made from seaweed. And like the lifter, it is supposed to be an aphrodisiac. Courtney decided on the Irish mash and sat back down. So I consider myself as a young man who is trying to get something out of life. Any which way I can. But I see that I really can't, I can't really do that in Jamaica or here. In Jamaica, it's because of the way the leaders make things. They give all the money to the war people and stir up everyone's mind. But you see, we are still in slavery in our own country. And you know who puts us under slavery? Our own, that's who. Not the white man, but the, our own rascal kind. GLP, PMP, all of them is one. They are all pure gangsters now. The customers at the Ashanti were listening raptly. It made Shenda nervous. So we suggested that we cruise around for a while. It was early, still early in the Friday afternoon on the sidewalks along Kingston Avenue, the main shopping street in the Asadic section of Crown Heights, were crowded with women shopping for the Sabbath. They trundled their strollers and shepherded large flocks of children, careful to ignore the African-Americans who sauntered by with big tape decks playing rap and dancehall music. The Asadic men congregated on the corners in earnest discussion, wearing black frock coats and fur-trimmed hats. They looked as if they stepped out of a shuttle in 17th century Russia. This was the year before the 1991 riots in Crown three days of riot between the Asadic and their African-American and Caribbean neighbors. The riots came after a child from Guyana, Gavin Cato, was struck and killed by a Asadic driver. The ambulance swept the uninjured driver from the scene while Cato bled to death on the sidewalk. The ensuing riot was yet to come, but the tensions that fueled it were already present. Enmity between the races was old. Courtney stared hard at the Jews. I don't check too much for white people, he muttered. I see certain things go down in the neighborhood in, in my days, and this is the way I become. I had my heart and said, me is a soldier. Shenda threw him a warm look from the driver's seat. Courtney ignored her. I'm going to be straight with you, he said. Don't hate me for what I'm going to say. I come over here. I come over here and fling battle at the Jews them. And if me catch one of them and me have a gun for me, me will let half bullet in at them too. 
The reason why I would do that because I love black people and this is a black Jew thing. You see, I never forget where I come from and I never forget my anger. A, a rebel attitude in black people come up from the time you enslave us. This is our nature. Ever since you start to separate us from our families, I know everything about this world. This is my world. I know how to struggle and I know how to survive. The only thing you have to understand about Jamaicans is that we're not afraid of nothing. We think we can't dead. We have nine lives like a cat. Shenda sucked her teeth in disgust. What do you mean, Courtney? Struggle and survive. Oh, black people going to survive if all uh, the white all the while kill one another. How that supposed to raise up with people? Courtney went into a full flush rage. The black race will never rise, he shouted. Never, because black people is out to get what's theirs. If white people like the Jews can still move good with one another, it's only because they are not living by the drugs business. And that's where black people find themselves now in this rascal country. It's a tightrope walk all the time. When I see the gully men, them with Del, the, the gully men war with Delroy Passy, it's just a tightrope, them a walk. One night a pure gunshot and man dropped dead. Police come, line off, body with yellow tape, pick up and go. Put in a dead house, body gone, next morning everybody cool, back to square one. So, what's going to stop the violence? I asked. The, the fighting will never stop, Delroy answered, slouching back into his seat. No, I don't really understand what all this fighting is for neither. But I know that it will never end. Because if I have a son, I'm going to grow him under one condition. Me will tell him, star, you're a shower man. You have to do what your general says. Me will grow him up and sometimes kick him down. You understand? Do him some cruel things just to make him get tough. To make him get cruel, like how Delroy killed his own father. Courtney didn't stop to consider the... The... The, the, the what? The pat... Patidix... Patty sidal, oh, the, pat, the patricidal, okay. Conan didn't stop to consider the patricidal implication of his child wearing theory. A patricidal, I guess when a parent kill a child, patricidal. Conan mm. didn't stop to consider the patricidal implication of his child wearing theory. It was getting late and he had to go pick up his daughter at school. The three of us met a few nights later at a bar called Turntable, a popular posse watering hole. The owner's son had recently be killed, been killed by a gunman from the gully, and Courtney described the slain as we sat down with our beers. When they shot him, they destroyed his back. You know what that means? The hole in his back came clear through his chest. He died with a half a kilo in his pocket. That meant the killer did not want the drugs. This year is the Wild West, you know, he grinned. They could fling bonanza out here. Little Joe Cartwright. A friend of Courtney soon came in and he joined us at the table. Courtney introduced him simply as Dread, the generic name for a Rastafarian. He wore an enormous leather hat over his locks. Dread crossed his arms over his chest and sat in absolute sullen silence while Courtney talked. His subject was a collusion between drug dealers and corrupt cops, so I was paying close attention and ignoring dread. 
but there was something about him that made me very uneasy. I just couldn't tell what it was. You remember when the 77th precinct thing blew open, Courtney was saying, that hurt a lot of guys who were selling for the cops. Certain police would go and raid and certain things they find never surface again, you see? If they find you with, say, six kilos, they only need to hold one, they only need one to hold you. Where does the other five go? One alone will put you away for 15 years. So the cops will come to one of us with the rest and say, help us unload this. And when we hear about five kilos, we say, God, you know how much money we can make off of that? And right away, we pay the cop before we even sell it because it's an investment. So now the cop is hooked on the money, same as we. And they must get a black man to sell the drug for them every time because that's they know that if a white man goes into our territory, enough, enough eyes gonna be upon him. Dredd smiled enigmatically. Courtney described how he had even imitated the cops and done his own raids on dealers. You ever see police play Tarzan, go up on roof, swing through window, feed first, then we, then, then, then plexiglass shields break down the whole motherfucking thing? Me like see that. I have one of them shields myself. Me and a couple Jamaicans went around busting crack spotters, police, something we see in America's most wanted. His voice was booming again, but the DJ was playing full decibel dancehall that almost drowned him out. Freeze! Courtney bellowed, imitating the police. Shen and I caught each other's eyes, both of us flashing back to the day at Papa's when we heard the same command. Don't move! Courtney continued, holding us hostage to his drama. Get up against the wall. Get the heft down on the floor. He sat back, folding his arms over his chest and grinned maniacally. So then we get our stuff and cuff them to the radiator and say bye-bye folks, see you later. <laughs> After that night, Courtney and I started meeting on our own in Central Park. He liked the open-air privacy of the park's terrain. It was cold, but we could bundle ourselves in warm clothes and meet on the benches underneath the gothic turrets of the Dakota. From there, we usually walk to a massive rock on the edge of the boat lake. In the park, free from his need to keep up the bravura bravura mask that he always wore in Brooklyn the bravura mask bravura mask first I ever said that word bravura mask that he always wore in Brooklyn Courtney would hum some of his rap songs he had written they were about violence and they did not sing its praises Ah, how they give us guns to shoot our brothers down, one of his songs began. It was about a Jamaican who comes to Brooklyn, goes on drugs and uses up his thoughts in the quest for power. Get a struggler, want me to take his brother down, Courtney sang, for the money that he holds. Put the gun in my hand and the money in my pocket. When I knock on Henry's door, with tears in my eyes, I see Henry with his baby on his side. I close my eyes, two shots out of the nine, Henry dropped to the floor. 
ghetto, slu- ghetto struggler, I kill my brother now. Now I'm feeling the pain, but who is to blame? The rich man sit down upon his stone, and he's not black, he's white, but who is to blame? They keep us in bondage, Courtney said, wiping his nose with his jacket sleeve. The chains are off the feet. Still, my mind is in captivity. I don't know when black people will wake up and see that the chains are gone, but our minds are gone also. Seagulls wheeled over the lake, and a few mallards slapped down into the water, quacking softly at their mates. Behind us, the bridle path, a beautiful turned out rider cantered past. A beautifully turned out rider cantered past. A vision of other of the other New York. She was wearing an elegant black jacket, fawn-colored breeches, and glossy black boots. The flanks of her chestnut horse gleamed from, from many brushings. Courtney squinted at her and said she looked like a movie but not one of the ones he would pay to go see i asked him what he thought about the connection between movies and violence is that these movie i pure badness he answered i see since scarface come out in the 70s everyone away want to play scarface certain movies seem to turn people wicked same time things like scarface rambo the godfather mean something very different in the ghetto. It's like white people can watch them flim and not turn in the kill at the same time. But in the ghetto, we see so much killing and the flims are like real life. Remember one time I was watching Scarface with my little crew and the whole away wanted to be just like him. Wanted big dollars and his big, big we I think. We want to go and rob man and take away all his cocaine, just like in that movie snort up nuff nuff cocaine and get well paranoid and go catch nuff nuff girls and shoot up club full of people then we would run things every man going to hear about our syndicate we're going to be like the french connection we're walking to the subway on 72nd street and stop by to say goodbye from the dakota across from the dakota yeah, Courtney said, just like Scarface. But a pity we don't know what we all would, would get dead. The next time we met Delroy, Courtney, the next time we met, Courtney brought dread. He was just as quiet as, as he had been at the turntable. Sitting sphinx-like when Courtney mentioned that he had an older friend from the shower, a man called Nines, shot for 9mm, who wanted to meet me. Right now, a shipment of gun is coming from Ohio, and Nines is receiving it, Courtney explained. But him is against, but him is against it still. He sees the way. It like him sick and fed up with it. All his guns just for youth and youth. So Nines was, talk, was talking that way to me, saying, Why can't man wake up and smell the coffee? You understand? The shower was still going strong in New York. Miami and Los Angeles. Jim Brown was in Kingston and Vivian Blake was traveling back and forth. But now that Michael Manny had become Prime Minister again in 1989, federal agents were hoping that Jamaica's PMP government would finally deliver Jim Brown to them. They had begun extradition proceedings against him. 
but Brown was playing for time by appealing the extradition order to the British Privy Council, Jamaica's court of last resort. In the meantime, he was still on the loose in Tivoli Gardens. In July 1990, the Kingston police tried to arrest him there with a force of 80 men. They were caught in a gun battle that killed four policemen. I remember that. The word on the street in Kingston was that if Americans roped in Jim Brown, the Tivoliites would go over to Montego Bay and start killing tourists. The State Department didn't like the sound of that. So American embassy officials in Kingston told the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms to leave Jim Brown alone for the time being. Whoever this man Nines was, he had to be very brave and very disenchanted with the shower if he was considered talking to me. Nines is an older man, Courtney said. Been in this thing since the Kingston days. Been shot 36 times and he is confused right now because them is pushing up the, lick, the lickless youth to run things. And this is why Nines is sick of the business. Him have kids. Him have one big son right now who is a dealer and it hurts him. Him have to hide him own a son right now because him son want to kill him. Him have to hide from him own a son right now because him son want to kill him. Courtney called me on the, on the, fr uh, Courtney called me on the run from a pain phone in Brooklyn a few nights later. Someone had shot him in the street. Well, Courtney called me on the run from a payphone in Brooklyn a few nights later. Someone had shot him in the, on the street in front of the bucket and then trailed him home. Firing a few rounds through the window of the room where Courtney's wife and daughter were laying asleep. The worst part of it is, I know who talked, Courtney said, choking with fear, all of his bravado gone. It had to be dread. He was the only one who knew about me and you and nines ready to talk my worst mistake was getting involved with certain in certain things where where when you wish you could back off it's too late that's what nine says when you want to back off it's too late you have to stay steady stand firm and not leave your headquarters till they do your part it's like a marriage certificate you sign if you leave you know too much and next going and next man going to kill you. It, this is part of the syndicate. Ain't no leaving but to die. We saw each other one last time, a meeting on our bench in the park. He had already put his wife and child on a bus to Chicago, where their parents live, and he was about to follow them. But he had a letter for me from Nines. Dear Lori, it began with a heart drawn around my name. I have heard a lot of things that impressed me about your book from our friend. We have so much in common. But I only have a short time to let you know all the things going on in Jamaica with the shower crew. From last week, I was not careful of what I was doing and the wrong man got to know things. This note might cost me, might cost me my life. Courtney told me that nines had grown up in Trenchtown and that before he linked with the shower, he had been on the other side of the political wars, running with the infamous Tony Welch and the Concrete Jungle Gang. Nines letter continued. But I want you to keep on with your book, because it's got to get out to stop the violence that is in Jamaica. I remember the days when Tony Welch and the Jungleites was trying to teach us that we must love one another and defend our areas. 
I was much younger then. I was the leader of my pack at the time. But the love we were spending was a bloody love. Killing our own people for foolishness. At the time, I didn't realize what I was doing. I was too deep into it to get out, so I kept on killing. Courtney told me that you wanted to know how the shower got started. Jim Brown and the rest of the shower was like Robin Hood, taking from the rich to give to the poor. But politics seemed to break up everything. I was holding the fluttering pages of Nine's letter as a strong wind threatened to carry them off. There's a lot of things going on the streets along with the guns. Manhattan is the headquarters for Spranglers and the shower and a lot of Colombians are involved in the runnings. So, okay, reading what Laurie said. It has been said that the Colombia's Cali cartel, which, was, which had surpassed its Medellin competitor as South America's preeminent cooking organization, handpicked the shower to distribute the cartel's cocaine in England, where the passes were establishing a secondary frontier by this time. But Nines was only saying that everyone knew that Jamaican gangs had to deal with the Colombians simply because the cocaine was theirs and theirs alone. The letter ended. By the way, talking about the Colombians, remember one of my virgin who called him was in this from Miami, the Marta Colombian. Anyway, um, the letter ended. There is innocent blood shedding down in Kingston. Ladies are dying, families are suffering, and the leaders are laughing, giving the youths and the, the, and the youths and youths guns and drugs to fight against their own brothers and sisters. Courtney is trying to get out of the, the badness. I wish him the best of luck. At this time, I let my words, one love. I will let, I will let my words, one love. Jarastafar Nines. I never got to meet Nines. He was killed a few nights later in front of a grocery store in East New York. Courtney made it to Chicago and called me to let me know he was alright and to ask me to attend Nines' funeral in Brooklyn. He wanted someone to represent him there, but he understood when I told him that I didn't think it was a good idea. This thing they call, what is Possism. A Possism? This thing they call Possism. Is the dreadfulest thing in the world, Courtney said. I never saw him again. And that's the end of that one. One more chapter. So that was interesting. So it shows you the the that which we know. These are the things I don't know. But with Lori here, she's verifying a lot of these things. And well, once you get into the gangs and the cartels and them things, there there's no getting out back in the day. Well, even to this day, it's just different ways. You know, um, I know too much. Mm -hmm. well, and the, thing, and, and, and the thing is that when we realize that the thinking not there, the thinking, the thinking process just simply not there. Because whether you're in or out, when some if somebody's mind is out, I mean, sorry, it's not a, it's not a, it's one of them things where it's not the word I always use is sustainable. You know, once somebody else knows something and they have some kind of advantage over what you're doing and your thing not really 100% solid or bulletproof it's usually not sustainable it's usually just a matter of time 
So no matter how much kill you kill and how much this you do and meme you meme, at the end of the day, you just buying time. But inevitable because it's a, what they call it, a war. I'm not going to do some more research on it, but it's what you call a war of attrition. And a strategy this time, you just, it's almost as if it's a war, when I say a war of attrition, in my mind, it's more of a war of defensiveness. It's a war of no strategy, but just reaction. You're reacting, but you're not, you don't really have a long-term strategy. Right, you're buying time, <laughs> you know. So, but it shows, and I mean, the previous chapter about Bones and Gully is really interesting. The, the, the fact that this book was banned apparently in Jamaica is interesting. The, the uh, clear, clearly, the huh? was banned. Clearly, the book is, um, and, and, and I don't even know if they can, re but I would have to figure it out. But they said it was banned in Jamaica. Clearly, the book. Raises questions, but you have to wonder why people like you know, like you watch a syrupy and they're talking about and they're going around about 87, 87s, 91s, 160, whatever. And I'm saying you don't need to go around and throw a lot of things into it, you just need to go address this one situation. How was Tony Welch? How was Jim Brown? How was um Chinaman, Eric Vassal or whoever, uh Delroy Edwards, all these guys, what what's the truth to their story and in relation to the connection of the connection of you politicians with the with with, with the violence the, the, the criminality we are in Jamaica. if we can prove just like in in law we can prove that um what they call it, not complicit. But they would say, well, you were part of the murder. You did something to, to facilitate the murder. What's the term? Accomplice. 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 But they're more than accomplice. They, they, they actually are the instigators and all that kind of thing. How is it that as an individual, they don't get locked up? Well, because they are also the law because they are the police, they are the police commissioner, they are the police inspector, they are the detectives. So it just goes, that's why when they talk about the system, when you, when you work it in your head, the system is, the system is the criminal. The system is the perpetrator of crime. The system that is supposed to deal with and mitigate and persecute people for crime. They are, the, they are criminals. The system is a criminal organization. If you think about it, the system is, based off what you're looking at, the system is a criminal organization. It might find ways to dilute the appearance of its involvement when things execute. The, the final execution of certain things, but it is still a part of it. It is still it. It is still a butterfly that flaps its wing in Africa that causes a hurricane or a, 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 a storm in, in, in the Caribbean kind of thing. It is still what they call the butterfly effect to some extent. Most, more than the butterfly effect. But it's, it's, it's still, it, it is still the cause of a lot of the shit. 
this still because of me there. Yes, all right, I know inside I'm a country. I have to leave the crime and violence. You know, it's, it is still the reason why a lot of us have to leave our island home. Now, our island home is part of the journey of our existence because our existence starts in different countries. But that's life. But the fact that we are compelled to leave our island home, we feel compelled sometimes to leave our island home, not for financial betterment, but for social betterment, for security for our family, is ridiculous. Just a thought around it don't make no sense. It don't really make sense that you're going to leave a tropical island where you can grow your foods, you can sustain yourself um, independently because of the climate. And you have to, you're going to leave that to go to an Arctic country where you depend so much on things that's outside of your control to survive. It don't make sense is where the mental slavery or the mental enslavement, the, the enslavement of our minds perpetuate and creates this, 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 this movement, this velocity of our physical selves towards physical slavery. Frankly, that's my thought. And once you enslave the mind, you win. You win, you don't need the body, because the body will follow. But anyway, this is very, 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 very good um, reading um, by Laurie. Laurie, you did an awesome job so far. I mean, you, you have done a good job. You might not like Laurie, I've ever listened to this. <laughs> That's the next thing. When, when you leave Jamaica and come and a couple winters hit you, you, you start hallucinate, you start forget, you start create. Um, augmented realities in your brain. <laughs> I remember I was having a conversation with, with Malaya in Jamaica the other day and I said, you know, da -da -da, and thanks again for that thing that you that you um, you, you, you agreed to, to write. She, she needs to write a referral letter for me because I'm getting a license to do my thing there in Jamaica also. Um, God's willing and I get to go back as you don't know, I don't plan to retire from life. Keep doing some money. That life if you do what I want to do forever and ever and ever and ever. So I have to go down now. I have to get referral letters and all of that. I said to my aunt, by the way, thanks sir. You know, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to take you up on that offer. Or that, you know, for, for to do the referral letter. I'll, I'll pick it up at the office when I come down in Jamaica. Blah, 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 blah. And she go, um, I, I don't remember us having a conversation about a referral letter, but no problem, I'll do it for you. I said, wait, my brain actually remember you saying, yes, I'll uh, no problem, I'll gladly write that referral letter. I actually remember you saying it. <laughs> but I'll defer, you know, your memory better. She said, no, I don't remember that, and my memory is pretty good. You know, you know, you know, my girl done cockity already. She said, my memory is, I don't remember, but not a problem. <laughs> yeah, she said, not, not, not a problem. So I said, you know something? Definitely, you know, my wife has been saying the same thing that um, I am I, I'm remembering things that don't go so. So between you and, and now, between the wife saying that and now you saying it, maybe the winters are finally taking a toll on the brain where it's no longer not only remembering, but it's 
it's creating its own reality. It's creating its own history. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna wrap this one up by saying, I almost finished the book. One more, that's a chapter, probably two more. I reprise. I'm gonna try to read this today, you know. I'm gonna, and then, oh, and then, the, what it, you know, if you, you know, if you wanna go around in Jamaica and tell people to spell words, and anyway. I pronounce words. Remember, like khaki, you to spell khaki. I spell khaki again. See it? How do you spell khaki? There you go. K H A K I. But in my head, I see K A K H I. You understand me? Kaya said, which part the H go? And that's the thing with khaki, you know. Where do you, where do you put the H? Because in which way it's going to be pronounced the same way. If you think about it, you spell khaki, K H A K I. It's khaki. If you spell it K A K H I. It's khaki. No, but it's how you choose to pronounce it. No, 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 but it, it's how you choose to pronounce it. It still can be it's because depending on the cultural background for your language. Suppose it's French, it's khaki. Khaki. Anyway, so, yeah, so, so. That is the thing with khaki. So this word you know that I buck up on. Epilogue. <laughs> Epi Epilogue. Yeah, so but how, so how would you pronounce this epilogue? Epilogue. 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 Right. So I have to I have to read the reprise or and epilogue, the epilogue, yeah, just like monologue. Ah, see it? So do ah so G U E. Yeah, alright, so it's epilogue. That epilogue, you see it? Are you with your epilogue <laughs> foolishness? You see what I mean? Alright, but why is not L O G? Why are the U E? Epi look at it. Epilogue, stop right here. Take out the U E off it. Epi L O G. Yeah, epilogue. Well, I spelled, just like monologue. Why the U E? That's the word, that's the spelling of the word. Tongue. T O N G U E. Ah. Not not T O N G. It's a U E. So why not spell T O N tongue like tongue tongue why the G why not why not spell tongue yeah, tongue like log T O grammar and spelling you know there are different words sound alike spell different spell different sound alike right right so who creates the law so I can create the law so this is epilogue. <laughs> right? And I can say khaki spell K-A-K-H-I because I choose to spell it that way. And I am now the man who decided on that English from now on. And history will never be told that I was the one who messed up the word khaki. But 500 years from now, that's how they're going to spell khaki. And they say, well, one day somehow they drop the H and put the H here. So nobody knows what happened. I watch, I'm going to change that word khaki. K A K H I. That's how Kaki is gonna spell. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just can change it up. <laughs> I just can change up Kaki for them. Uh, epilogue. Anyway. Thank you. Very interesting. Very interesting read. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna podcast this now. Put a voice. Put a little. Yeah, man. We get, oh, I, I, oh, I trapped. I, 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 I had you guys trapped in my, in my. Um, I, I don't get this, you know. I got you. I, I had held you guys hostage. I'm not letting go. Like, like Courtney. It's a wrap. <laughs> like Courtney, it's a wrap. wrap it up. All right. Anyway, as we come to the end, 
I'm going to say one love, stay blessed.